This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. You're Mawera. Sure, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. We describe it as a safe place, but your place doesn't sound very safe. No, one of the two of us has got COVID. And I just didn't quite plan properly about well, I just didn't expect them to be positive. I wasn't too worried, so I can't remember whose I put where. One of them showing a positive line. So we'll go again tomorrow. Does it mean that you both have to isolate? Yeah, we kind of have been anyway because we've been in contact with so many positive people. Yesterday, Jack and I spent the whole day delivering uh, test packs around the community, um, just dropping them off on people's doorsteps and things like that. So just, yeah, constantly um, exposed. So it was inevitable, really. And who are we introducing today? Today it is my great pleasure to introduce uh, for uh, her second visit to the show, Phoebe Eden-Mann. She's related to one of the hosts of the show. Guess who? Is it you? (laughs) No. (laughs) Must be you, Sam. Sam's daughter, Phoebe. um, She is the National uh, Policy Analyst for CCS Disability Action and is actually... Um, still a uh, suffering case, really, eh, Phoebe, um, with COVID. Yeah. And I think you're incredibly brave and wonderful for joining us today. And thank you for being so willing and open to share your experience. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, wouldn't advise COVID. It's not a good idea. That, so, that's pretty much it. <laughs> so tell idea. people where you are, Phoebe. Um, how I'm doing. Oh, where are you first? Oh, I'm in I'm in isolation in Dunedin with a very grumpy cat because we moved house about four days before before I got sick. Um, my partner still somehow is testing negative, um, which is incredibly frustrating. Every time I see the negative line, I'm just like, cool, great, good for you. Um, he's been going. I've, I've I'm the Jason Statham of New Zealand. If nothing can take me down, I'm certainly going, I'm about to take you down in a minute. Just, <laughs> just you watch. Um, but no, so we're, so I'm in Dunedin and I'm now in St Kilda, closer to the beach, which is good. Um, and yeah, basically just been stuck inside for going on two weeks. So tell us, talk us through what happened or how, how has your journey been? So I tested positive, oh, I tested negative on 
the 24th. So that was a negative rat test slash inconclusive. Like the, the results weren't clear either way. So I got sent for another test and that test came back positive on the Monday, which I think was the 28th, I think. I think somewhere around the, those those days. My GP has said that looking at me on Friday, he knew that I had COVID. Um, you know, he said, as soon as I saw you, I knew that you were COVID. And I'm like, awesome. Um, and then I just got progressively worse um, over the last, last week. Uh, to the point where I collapsed at home on Friday and my partner had to call an ambulance. I was then in hospital overnight on oxygen and IV fluids as well as some antibiotics because I've now developed pneumonia. And yeah, just wouldn't advise COVID. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> and that's, and that's pretty much where I'm at. You are vaccinated. Yes, yeah, so I am double vaccinated, and ironically, I was due for my third booster jab on last Wednesday, which was truly spectacular timing when I got the text or the email reminder from the Ministry of Health going, just a reminder, you're not eligible for your booster jab. I'm suddenly going, well, that seems slightly redundant at this point, but thanks. <laughs> so... What were the like? What were the symptoms to start with? So, as background, I have an autoimmune disease. So I've got ankylosing spondylitis, which is an autoimmune arthritis. Uh, so that's an inflammatory disorder. And then I have a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which basically means that the glue that holds your body together isn't very gluey and is more like really crap glue tack. So I'm used to being unwell and having a body that, that doesn't really, you know, cooperate anyway. Um, but this was different from my usual not cooperating very well. I don't usually have earaches. And that was the first thing that I, I woke up with one with a really sore ear and it felt like I was getting, um, you know, like an ear infection on one side and then it moved to both sides. And then I... A couple of hours later, that kind of died down, and I got a really sore throat. And at that point, I'm like, "Oh, I need to, I need to go get a test." Um, and that was on a Friday, uh, and then on the Mondays when I started kind of developing a cough and getting really short of breath, um, and that's where my temperature started spiking up too. So I think the highest I've gone is 39.9. Um, and my O2 has been, my oxygen saturations have been sitting around uh, 93, 94, but an ED it dropped down to 89. Um, but then I was put on oxygen and it kind of clawed its way back up um, to sitting around, you know, the lower lower to mid 90s. Um, and that was that was on Friday night, Saturday morning. So did they give you a oxygen meter? Yeah. I had a oh it's, yes so I have a as I called ox yeah the the one that goes in your finger um I actually got that from Granny she <laughs> when as soon as I tested positive uh, Dad's mum freaked out probably rightly so uh, and dropped off an entire box worth of monitoring things but I think if I hadn't 
if I didn't have access to one, I think my GP was going to organise one for me to to be dropped off at my house um, because I am high risk and it does it does need to be consistently monitored. But you know, I, I had one already, so I was already keeping an eye on on that when my uh, oxygen saturation started kind of dipping down. And are they still the the doctors and public health nurses were keeping a pretty close eye? Yep, so I've How had, does that work? Were they phoning up? Yeah, they call you. Um, so I was allowed to go from hospital after they kind of got me stabilised um, because kind of, you know, my mindset was if it's safe for me to be miserable in my own bed, I'd like to go and be miserable in my own bed instead of miserable in an isolation room in ED or on a ward. Um but I was let go with the condition of if I deteriorate or if I collapse or even vaguely get to that point again, my partner needs to call an ambulance. Um, so I've been very closely monitored like, over the weekend. I think I was getting phone calls twice or three times a day. I've had, I was called twice yesterday by my GP um, and one of the nurses at my GP practice, and today I was called, I've talked to my GP twice and the nurse once. So, yeah, they are they are keeping a really close eye. I don't know how everyone else's experiences have been um, in terms of, you know, the, basically the Ministry of Health has, has just kind of yeeted the problem towards primary health care, which I'm a little bit sceptical of because a lot of people don't have... A lot of disabled people don't have um, ease of access to their GP, so that's a bit of a concern for me. Um, so I'm not entirely sure how everyone else's, you know, experiences are going, but I think because I have a good working relationship and, you know, all of that stuff going on with my GP, he knows me and he knows my health and he knows that I'm relatively medically competent and that I know if I need to go to ED I'll go to ED um, so I feel quite safe uh, with the care that I've had but I'm not sure if my experience has been the experience of many people um, and that I think is my main concern for the disability community is you know well we know that I think it's this, my brain's a bit foggy so I can't remember the exact statistics but it's something like one in five disabled people can't go to the GP when they need to go and how on earth is it going to work when we've got COVID you know that's the thing that's always mm. going through my mind of whenever I'm talking to my GP I'm like well you know I'm incredibly privileged to have this but a lot of people don't here in Whakatane uh, you can't actually join a GP practice at the moment because they're completely maxed out and our hospital is always full um, because it's the hospital that services from the East Cape um, through to Whakatane or Portiki, um, all the way out to Edgecombe and Kaurau. It's a huge space that it it's services. A population. It is. And, we, um, and actually, they won't even take COVID people um, at the Whakatane hospital. They send us through to Tauranga. Because the total, because the Fakatani Hospital has to service everybody else, and there's no way to isolate people. So, it it is um, in this community that already struggles in every way. There's there's no way that's going to end well. 
Right. And that's the thing. Like, there's, there's literally no way that's going to end well. It's, it just it blows my mind that, you know, you, we have all these people saying it's just a cold. I've never had a cold and ended up on oxygen on, in hospital, ever. And I get a lot of colds because I am immunocompromised. This is not something that we can just be going, you know, it's just the cold and minimising it because that's not what's happening for a lot of people. Let's take the first of your music choices <laughs> so that you can have a coughing break. Let's have the first of your music choices. Let's have the Beatles help. Why this one? It's pretty much been playing through my mind for the past week and a half. I'm just lying there with the Beatles going, help, I need somebody going on for a loop and so my head. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. When, when I was younger, when so I much was younger young, than today, I never, I never needed anybody's help in any way. talking about the hospital what was the experience like was there a, a separate conveyor belt for for covid people yeah. so when i collapsed at home and my partner called the ambulance i was you know in the back of my mind i was like oh, i don't need to be in you know i was i think a thing that a lot of disabled people you know like chronically ill people have is this mindset of stubbornness no i'll be fine it's fine everything's fine and I think the best visualization of that is the meme with the dog and the dog's in the bar and the bar's on fire and the dog's sitting there going, it's fine. And, you know, I was going, no, I don't need to go to hospital. And then the, the paramedics arrived and I'm like, no, actually, I probably do definitely need to go in hospital. And 
the I can't you know praise the paramedics enough of how safe they made me feel when I couldn't breathe of they talked me through everything that was happening um the only thing that they really had to do was make me put on a the medical grade mask not just the is it the KN9 that's the not medical grade and the N9 one that's the oh. medical grade that was the only thing I had to do was change the mask that I was wearing so it had um slightly better uh, seals around the side um you know the only thing that they really had to do was they opened the window in the ambulance because I was coughing and it was in a confined, uh, confined space I was taken to Dunedin Hospital which uh, for people who have been in and out of Dunedin Hospital for years basically they're putting everyone who has COVID or is symptomatic or is a close contact in what used to be the muffin break it hasn't been the muffin break for years it's been the uh, gift shop but they've now gotten rid of the gift shop and put all the COVID people in that bit um it is terrifyingly called the red zone <laughs> which <laughs> when I saw that on the sign I'm like oh my god we're all gonna die you know I'm being wheeled in there you know kind of like coming in and out of consciousness going oh, I'm going to the red zone good that sounds not terrifying at all and I was put into they've got like this triage room which is where I'm assuming they're going to be putting everyone once all the beds fill up because they had all these, you know, big uh, kind of white downable armchairs that you have in, you know, like where you go to get your blood test done. They've got kind of the big chairs that can be, you know, easily sanitised. And each chair has an oxygen tank next to it and a mask next to it and a drip next to it. And I was like looking at going, this is going to get really bad really quick, isn't it? If If they're having to prepare not beds but also somewhere that they can put people who are incredibly unwell this is not like you could just see the amount of preparation they've had to put into this because they know that this is going to get really bad really quick uh i was i think i was only waiting in there for about five minutes before they put me in a bed and very soon after that it was probably about 10 minutes later i got put on oxygen with the nasal prongs i was put on those um and I was, I can't remember when I went in, I think I was in there in hospital for about 18-ish hours, I think is when I was kind of there for the time the time period. Um, there weren't that many of us in, in the red zone, to be honest, but it was up there with the most traumatic experience I think I've ever had in hospital. Um, not just because I couldn't breathe and because I was very unwell, but there was an anti-vaxxer who assaulted a doctor three metres away from my bed. And I won't say what he was saying because it's probably, well, it is unbroadcastable, um, but I have never seen any medical practitioner be abused and assaulted like that in my life. It was absolutely insane. And then after the... So this man who was sold to the doctor, tested positive, was refusing to wear a mask, was coughing everywhere, and I genuinely think he was coughing on purpose, like, you know, just coughing everywhere. He was demanding to be let go, and they wouldn't let him leave without putting a mask on because he's just tested positive. And, you know, they're going, you can't walk through the hospital with COVID without a mask on. 
we're happy to let you go. You need to wear a mask. And he was apps that that just caused him to absolutely lose the plot. And where I was, my bed was right next to the kind of only door that patients are allowed to use. And so I'm watching all this happen. I'm, you know, hooked up to hooked up to IV fluids. I'm on a heart monitor. I've got oxygen on. I'm literally chained to the wall. And I'm like watching this all unfold. And then he hits the doctor and I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> and then he starts yelling at me going, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? As well as words that are not broadcastable. And I'm just slightly going, am I about to be hit by an anti-vaxxer? Like that's what it was, was going through my mind was I'm about to be assaulted and I can't move anywhere. I'm attached to the wall. And it was awful. And so eventually the police were called and um, they took him away. But it was the thing that really was most striking about it was the doctor who was assaulted went right back to treating patients like nothing had happened. And I was just sitting there going, I don't care what we paid the uh, frontline staff. It's not enough. It was just, you know, I've always kind of been of that mindset of we don't pay anyone enough anyway we are really not paying these medical practitioners enough to be dealing with any of that. And then about half an hour after that, unfortunately, the old lady next to me died, which was just hideous. And throughout all of, you know, throughout all of that, from being assaulted to having someone have a heart attack next to me and die and having to listen to them try and resuscitate her for 10 minutes, it was just my care was excellent I never felt like I never felt like I didn't need to be there I you know a lot of disabled people and chronically ill people probably do know the same feeling that I have of do I actually need to be here am I just being ridiculous it's that whole kind of the inner monologue of am I just being ridiculous or do I just need to harden up and even though I was, you know, couldn't really breathe, I was still having those thoughts of I could just be at home. You know, this, you know, this, I'm just being ridiculous, whatever. And throughout all of that and from everything that happened on Friday night when I was in hospital, not a single doctor, not a single nurse, no one made me feel like I was being ridiculous by being there. I was, you know, I was given multiple pump water bottles because that's what they're having to hand out because it's an infection risk I had you know random nurses coming giving me more blankets it was I, I felt very cared for and very safe and they're doing an amazing job with the worst circumstances that they could have Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui Dunedin's favourite goddess Tahu Mackenzie Kia ora koutou, nā mahi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahua hou. I hope you're all having a best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together has proven to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more on each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for all of us now, for more than two years, we've been navigating together a whole new landscape. The ground beneath our feet has shifted, has erupted, has shattered, has changed, has undulated, has shaken. And so have we. 
And of course we find ourselves now surveying quite a new universe to make the best of together. And this is what we're doing. And of course I want to send all my love and all my support to Sam and his whanau at this difficult time hearing that. Beautiful Phoebe is unwell. And mihi arohanui kia koutou. I'm sending all my love. I hope that she gets well soon and, and that recovery is as fast and smooth and equal her. And of course, more and more, this is happening for us all. People that we know and love directly in our whanau and our, in our immediate vicinity are becoming unwell. And of course, this is, you know, quite a, an alarming time, a time that we're having to really develop new skills, new, new ways to deal with the emotional stress. And of course, we are. This is what we do as a species. Constantly adapting and finding ways that we can nurture in new environments and under new pressures. So I know that Sam, as always, will be radiating happiness and love and positivity, not in a delusional fashion, but in a highly intelligent and hopeful fashion. So good on you, Sam. I know you'll be making this time for Phoebe a lot easier. And this morning I have been assisting my lovely friend Upoko David Allison from Katihuyurapa Runaka Kapukaturaki with his technological adventures, being able to use Teams with his iPad, which is not working, and having got some headphones so that he can be heard. Now that the microphone has gone kaput with the planned obsolescence that we are dealing with, and he was talking with people in Alexandra about how to help people newly arrived into the community from overseas or from, from other parts of Aotearoa New Zealand who have arrived over the last five years and maybe are not aware of the support and the connections that are there, particularly facing Omicron and needing support. And of course... It's fascinating to hear people's ideas and people's strategies for getting information out there, connecting with people, when we are, of course, having to be so limited and so careful as well at this time. I then had another call with my dream team from Orokanu Eco Sanctuary via Google Meet. There's just so many different ways of doing it. And this is all about a project we want to do where people are able to purely conduct the project in their backyard so they can do it when they're isolating or needing to be at home and it's all about of course the beautiful native plants that are in our backyards and what they tell us about habitat intactness and habitat health when they're fruiting and flowering what kind of food they're providing for our native species and non-native species and what we can do long term to create landscape scale native corridors and habitat for our endangered native species that are spilling out from the safety of Otokano Eco Sanctuary. So even in this very difficult time, of course, necessity being the mother of invention, there are so many new ideas and strategies coming forward, and that fills me with hope and gratitude, as does this show. So thank you all for having me. Lots of love to Sam and your whanau, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Phoebe Eden-Mann. Phoebe, um, a week or so ago, well, before before you got sick, um, you had a bit of a, uh, a a moment on Twitter, I saw, 
Um, after I think the uh, Chantal Baker has cri been criticised for comparing the protests in New Zealand to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And uh, I shall I read your that. comment? I stand by what I said. <laughs> Chantal Baker saying the protests are the same thing that's happening in Russia is an astonishing lack of self-awareness. I and, stand by that. And absolutely, and I stand by it with you. But this is this thing I've been thinking about, like, um, and we've been talking about uh, lack of, the lack of critical thinking ability on this show since the show started more than two years ago, and and now we are really seeing the the lack of of critical thinking being taught in schools as the chickens coming home to roost. Uh, we and and it's really um, it's just become so overt now. Yeah, I think the funniest thing about that tweet was that it ended up on News Hub. And I had a temperature, when I tweeted that, I had a temperature of 39.8. And I'm lying in bed watching protesters literally set fire to Parliament. And yet somehow, according to the anti-vaxxers, I'm the evil one. And it was, you know, watching Chantal Baker's live stream, which I will put my hand up and say I absolutely was watching it because it was raid a entertainment you know in a very dystopian oh my god that actually set fire to parliament kind of way was watching her live stream was kind of like watching a slow moving bus crash of you couldn't look away but my god you wanted to look away but also oh god now it's on fire it was and i think that's one of the things that you know when i think about the pandemic hopefully you know when i'm 80 odd I will always remember the fact that they actually set fire to Parliament and they actually set a children's slide on fire and they actually think that camping outside Parliament for three weeks and assaulting people and throwing human excrement at the police and writing hang her high in front of Parliament grounds and then complaining that Jacinda Ardern didn't want to go down and talk to them. I think the protest is really going to stick out of my mind of humanity at its worst has really peaked. And my, so my tweet ended up being screenshotted and put in a news hub live stream of, of kind of the, the, the day that the police went in and broke up the protest. And I did not know it had been put in the news hub live stream until one of my friends sent me a screenshot of it and went, oh my God, you're on news hub. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm where? And I'm still, you know, I'm, this is, this is, I think, about a day or so before I ended up in hospital. And so I was just getting progressively more in the sick and I'm lying in bed going, what do you mean I'm a new sub? <laughs> what do you mean I'm a new sub? And it just, I've had arguments with people on Twitter before. And I think, you know, everyone who's on Twitter has had at least one insane argument with at least one insane person. And I've had arguments with activists. I've had arguments with people who COVID skeptics. I've had arguments with people from you know neo-nazi groups who are just awful right-wing trolls i've had all of that the thing that really stuck out in my mind from when i've had covid is people on twitter are terrible when i tweeted that i had covid it was i got messages going i hope you die uh messages going no you don't you're lying it's a hoax uh basically going oh well of course you do you're disabled and it you know for the most part i'm just like and what it must be like living in your brain it must be an incredibly sad and scary place but the thing that really i think 
affected me the most was when I tweeted it. This was probably about two or three hours before I ended up in hospital on oxygen. I tweeted something along, I can't even remember what I said, but something along the lines of, you know, a cold has never put me in hospital. And yet here I am about to be admitted and needing oxygen. So if you think this is just a cold, you guys are in for a very rude awakening. And that, as you can imagine, did not go down well with anti-vaxxers. And I got all these messages saying that I was selfish for going, for even considering going to hospital. And I think my favourite one just said, taking away taking away a bed from a cancer patient, tisk tisk, shame on you. And I'm, I'll send you the screenshots after me where I click, oh my god. And I'm lying there going, I can't breathe. I'm a disabled immunosuppressed woman and I have COVID. Me going to hospital because I can't breathe isn't taking a bed away from a cancer patient. And it's also incredibly convenient that they only seem to care about cancer patients whenever it fits their narrative. That's the thing that I think I will always remember is that they don't care about, you know, the number of people who who commit suicide or are self-harming or the number of people who are having surgeries cancelled or cancer patients and the lack of funding for our health system. They don't care about any of that unless it suits their narrative, at which point that's when they bring it out because that's the only time they care is when it is suiting the you know, anti-government, anti-vaccine, anti-COVID agenda. That's when they bring stuff out. It's very disingenuous and they don't actually care about it unless it suits their specific narrative and their specific agenda at the time. Phoebe, in your work as in policy, you yeah. represent some of those people or you, you know, yeah. they are part of the communities that, that's your job to yeah. advocate for. How yeah. do you do that? How do you maintain that a sort of a positive engagement? Because it's the right thing to do. That's what it comes down to. I didn't say why, how? Job. Because you've got, I will say that I have had a number of very abusive interactions with people in my professional kind of, you know, professional career, specifically around COVID and the mandates and things, um, to the point where someone emailed me and said that I had been added to the COVID Crimes Against Humanity suspect list for publicly promoting the eugenics and genocide of disabled people by promoting the death jab. And there's no reasoning with those people. It's really hard to engage with them in a way that is beneficial but also keeping people safe so there are some people who i just don't engage with because there is no point you 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 can't engage and you can't reason with that level of down the rabbit hole these you you know you can chuck as many you know rescue ropes as you want down the rabbit hole but you can't drag people out they don't want to be dragged out so the way that I've kind of been working is on the assumption of my job is to advocate for all disabled people in Aotearoa. I'm going to be continuing doing that because that's my job and that's my you know framework of practice. If they want to engage with me, that's fine. They can do so. But I'm not going to be abused. I'm just not. And if, you know, if someone comes at me with, you know, a massive amount of abuse as you know the first they start with that yeah i'm good i'm good come talk to me when you've possibly you know just had some critical self-reflection and taking it down a little bit i don't mind being i don't mind engaging with people who are angry 
I don't mind engaging with people who are very frustrated with, you know, possibly even me with the system, with the situation as a whole. That that's that's not the group I'm talking about. I'm talking about the group of people who think that it's okay to send someone death threats, to send people, you know, screens of abuse of messages, to set fire to Parliament. You know, any those group of people, I genuinely don't think there's a lot of engaging with them. But at the same time, I will always continue to advocate for disabled people who may fall into that group because that is my job. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Elton John. I'm still standing. Why this one? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a little bit misnamed because I'm currently not standing. I'm currently lying horizontal most of the time. But, you yeah, know, I've not died. So, you know, we're doing all right. That's about where we're at. That's about as good as we can currently get with double pneumonia. I've not died, so go team. You can never know what it's like. Your blood like when a freezes just like ice. And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you. You'll wind up like the wreck you hide behind that
Debbie, we've asked you this question before, but perhaps the experience of having COVID has changed your answer or the um, more recent events has changed the answer. We've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I hope that the current drive to increase critical thinking skills sticks because I think that's one thing that, you know, as a society we're really, we're really lacking. But I also think that when you look at the statistics of the people who are vaccinated and the people who are doing the right thing and continuing to protect the community, I think when you look at the statistics of, you know, how many people are vaccinated and double vaccinated and boosted in New Zealand, and then you look at the very small but very loud and aggressive people at Parliament, the numbers are not in their favour. So when they say, you know, we've got, we're doing this for a third of New Zealand or whatever the, whatever quote they were basing on a 500-person strawman poll, when you look at the actual breakdown and you look at the number of people who are doing the right thing to protect themselves and protect more vulnerable people in their community, I think that the people who are doing the right thing are winning out. And I hope that we'll remember that when we, you know, move forward from whenever COVID hopefully goes away or, you know, just becomes, you know, the sniffles as they're reckoning it is. I hope that we look back and see that the the vast majority of people are doing the right thing. And also remember that misinformation and disinformation spreads so quickly and I think everybody has a responsibility when they're using especially social media especially things like Twitter and Facebook I think that we all have a responsibility to use that responsibly especially if we're going to be talking about you know really serious issues like COVID and I mean we're already seeing it with the, with the Ukraine Russia situation we all have a responsibility to do better when we're using social media. And I think that that awareness is slowly kind of coming in. And I hope that moving forward from, from this, that we all come away from this with a better understanding of we have a responsibility as humans to do better when we are talking about really contentious issues like that. Because that is exactly how we ended up with people literally setting fire to a children's playground in the name of children's freedom, which I'm still confused about, by the way. How can you argue you're doing it for the children and yet you set a kid's playground on fire? Those two ideas don't match up. And how do you argue for children's freedom when you're using children as a shield between you and... I think my favourite thing was the picture going around of the the dad with what the baby looked at most six months old on the front line against police in riot gear. How is that protecting your children if you're willingly putting your child on the front line as a human shield? Like, that's not do better. That's pretty much it, do better. 
So what lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic for those bigger sorts of things you were just talking about, and including things like climate change, but social justice and your space? What, what, what do we do about making people with disabilities' lives better? One, one of the good things that's come out of this is there is more of a conversation around underlying conditions and disabilities and there is more of a recognition that you can become disabled and join the disability community at any given point in time. We are the world's largest population that anyone can join at any point. And I think that when we look at things like long COVID, which are terrifyingly like large amount of people are having, that we are expecting our disability numbers globally. We're expecting our disability numbers to skyrocket as a result of long COVID and COVID-related disabilities. And I think that it has given a space and a platform for that conversation to be held where it wasn't really there before. We didn't really have, I don't want to say the drive, but there wasn't really kind of the interest or... Actually, drive is probably the right word. We didn't really have the drive to have those conversations because, well, you know, disabled people, we'll just put them in a corner and leave them there. But we've now got a huge number of people who, before they got COVID, were fine. You know, they didn't have any underlying conditions. They, you know, were young, fit, healthy people. Then they got COVID and now they're on, now they're on oxygen. You know, it's, it's causing a lot of people, I think, to really confront the fact that you can become disabled from anything. And so you can't just put us in a corner and leave us there because that's not how this is going to work because you don't know what's going to happen the next day. And so having those conversations, I think, is really good, but we need to keep having them. And we can't just, you know, you can't just go with, what the anti-vax nut bars are saying on Twitter of, oh, well, you know, she had under underlying conditions, of course you were going to be hit badly. Or when you look at how it's being reported, the deaths are being reported on the news, it was quite confronting to see Simon Dallow say five, there have been five additional deaths, but they, were all, they all had underlying conditions. It doesn't matter that they all had underlying conditions. Five people still died. They were probably going to be fine until they had COVID except for one of them who I think was terminal cancer, they were probably not going to be fine. But like, you know, the majority of people who are dying from COVID, when you look at the underlying conditions, they weren't terminal. They were things like asthma and diabetes. It, it's not the underlying conditions that I think a lot of COVID skeptics have in their head. And it's also, I think, really kind of lighting that fuse of, what is an underlying condition and getting people to actually critically think about their own health and their own loved one's health. And so I think what I really hope we have going forward is we continue to have that momentum and that those these discussions around, you know, protecting people who are high risk and protecting people who are vulnerable. And also if you get COVID and you're, you've previously been healthy, it could end really badly for you. But you don't know that until you've got it. And at that point, it's too late because you can't do anything about it. And so that's, I think, what I hope 
going forward is that we continue having these conversations because that's, I think, the only way we're going to be able to get out of this absolute hellscape that we're living in. Okay, some questions to end the show. You've had these again before. Mm-hmm. So I shall test you and see if you gave the same answers, or maybe they've changed. What is the <laughs> biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? I'll pick one, not dying. <laughs> Does uh, my my uh, Feverfield live tweeting of the protest being shut down ending up on NewsHub count? <laughs> <laughs> I just sent the screenshot of that to mum that just said, look mum, I've made News Hub and then she responded with oh my god, go to sleep <laughs> just like, thanks mum uh, I still think that my biggest success has been the state of the well-being or state of the nation well-being report for disabled people um, but also COVID recently before I got sick um has given me some really amazing opportunities to work with some really amazing people. You know, I'm working at the moment with uh, Starship Hospital on their their children and young people's policy, and I never would have gotten to have that those discussions and be involved in that kind of stuff if I wasn't a a disabled person and b angry at a lot of people on Twitter. So you know, double edged sword, I think. What's your superpower? not dying from covid you can't say that that can't be the answer to all of the questions my superpower infuriating right-wing trolls on twitter i've been truly spectacular at that recently do you consider yourself to be an activist yes what about you can ask that question until i die and the answer is still going to be yes what motivates you um, a desire to make the world a better place than when I found it. What's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or two? Hopefully not getting long COVID. <laughs> it's my, it's my uh, current biggest concern. Um, I'm not going to lie, I am very concerned about that, as is my doctor, because I do have scar tissue on my lungs. So... You know, God knows what that's going to look like for me in the future. But, you know, COVID aside, I'm most looking forward to getting back to a healthy breathing point and being actually able to do my master's as well as my job. So I'm still working on the shared decision-making with Disabled Children and Young People project. And, yeah, now I just actually have to, write my thesis and lots of other things to write about around that in terms of your evolving professional practice and what you've learned from covid Absolutely. and about that and oh, last that's gonna, be, yeah. that's gonna be a whole chapter it's gonna be titled the time i almost died and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners if you think you're sick get a test please for the love of god get vaccinated if you're not already it is not too late Trust me, I'm double vaccinated and I don't even want to know how bad this would have been if I wasn't. And the other thing I will say is think critically. If you see something online or someone says something that doesn't seem right, check it. Google is free. Don't just run with something that, you know, seems alarmist and, you know, don't just run with something that 
looks ridiculous and scary without double checking it. You have a responsibility as a human to check what information you are passing on to others. I know this is a terrifying time for everybody, but everybody needs to be doing better at this. It takes three seconds to Google something and probably two and a half minutes to read a Wikipedia article. It's really not rocket science. Thank you for that. Mawera. Phoebe, there is so much in the world that needs fixing at the minute, and we're really, really lucky that you're one of the fixers. So I have to say on behalf of everyone, congratulations on not dying. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do that. That would be terrible. And, um, and we really appreciate that you made the time today to talk about something so personal. Um, so many things actually uh, it's sometimes it's you know sometimes people just need to hear other people going through stuff to help them make sense of the stuff they're going through so we really appreciate you thanks for sharing with us today thanks for joining us safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we're broadcast on otago access radio every monday wednesday and friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie and this is queen Just give me a call Don't stop me Try now Try to have a good time
I'm Samuel Allen, and so is Bajan Eden with Muera Karatai in Fakatani. And we've been joined from St Kilda and Dunedin by the very wonderful Phoebe Eden Man. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Matewa. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.